1: friends, welcome
2: to the Oakshade Podcast today. I'm going to sit down with my buddy Aaron Snyder of Kufaru. We're going to chit-chat a few things, specifically stress testing, some ways to enhance your backyard prep for the upcoming season. Really good tips that everyone, myself, um, should employ, as well as we're going to discuss uh, a new thing coming out for Kufaru. It's pretty exciting. We're going to get to know Aaron's hunt plan. His hunt schedule is ridiculous this year. Pretty jealous. Uh, and then also, we're going to break down um, Born Primitive. Aaron helped design some of their layers, most of their outdoor lineup, and uh, kind of the prototype phase and where they're going with the company. Really excited about that. And it's just a good listen. Aaron's full of knowledge. He's a good dude. He works hard, and um, he's a good buddy of mine. So, without further ado, Aaron Snyder, Elkshay Podcast. Here we go. Welcome to the oakshape Shape Podcast, Season Six, with your host Dan, the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves. We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year-round discipline decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests, subject matter experts, so that you can tune in, get what you need to get, and continue on your journey. We are blessed to call ourselves Elk Hunters, Season 6. Here we go. What's up?
0: Nothing. I just did a podcast with a Catholic priest. That was interesting.
2: You can't really make that up, so I believe that. Uh, Which guy? Uh, Stephen... Gadberry, is he like a elk hunter
0: yeah he's buddies with froning uh they go yeah. hunt together and some other crossfit dudes
2: yeah yeah he's reached out a few times that's a that's cool how did you guys get connected
0: so i did a podcast with you're probably like me i don't listen to podcasts very often so you probably don't stay up on ours but i did a podcast with uh podcast with jay Valaton. are you familiar with him Mm-mm. um he's uh whatever church he's in he's the whatever priest or I'm not down with JC. So we did the first one and I was not, I was not prepared for what was spewing out of it. I did a bad job as a host because it was not what I the direction. He went down a deep dive of mental stability, for I mean, you know, relationship. I was I fucked up, right? I was like, so we finished it. I was like, hey man, we got to record that again. Like I didn't do a very good job as a host. So we did it again. And it did not, it was worse in a good way than the first one. I did a much better job, but as I was doing that, it was like, I didn't know how it would be perceived from the audience. So we posted it just like, well, we'll see what happens. And dude, I don't know how many people that messaged me, no BS, ready to commit suicide, that we're having mental issues that listen to that. And we're like, Because I was open about, you know, my past and, you know, growing up and making changes or whatever, dude, it was one of the most listened to podcasts and by far the most response from it. But what it told me is I have to do a better job with my platform of not just talking about hunting or not just talking about whatever, because I was like, Jesus, I got 30 messages from guys ready to commit suicide, like literally having super mental issues or big fat fuckers trying to lose weight that, um, you know, issues with that. So I was like, okay, I have got to get someone on like Jay at least once every couple months because it was an eye opener for me, how fucked up everyone is, including my, I mean, we all are jacked up in one way or another, but I haven't been doing a very good job on my, you know what I mean? I don't get people on there very often talking about that.
2: And Aaron, that is why I am down with JC. Cause I am totally fucked up. We all are, man. We we are. Um, So what was the the father like? Uh, Was he, um, because he he messaged me. He saw a video I did on TAC, and I like told the guy. We had subscribers come shoot with us. And I like to give a disclaimer anytime I'm in public. Like, hey, I claim to be down with JC, Jesus Christos, but I swear like a sailor. He messaged me and said, hey, dude, I swear a lot too." no big deal. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Not looking for justification, but I thought that was awesome that he like reached out. Um, what was he like, man?
0: Yeah. Uh, he was awesome. Um, you know, I mean, it, he, he just talked about like, it was more for men, obviously brotherhood and getting together, you know, men's groups and like, you know, like building a better, you know, mind, body, spirit, right. Like building a better fitness level, but also, you can't, you can be the fittest person in the world and be an internal an emotional wreck. And uh, just like that. I mean, it was really good. I need to have him on again. But like I told him, I was honest. I was like, dude, just me talking about reading a book with four other guys makes me feel weird. Like that is not me. And so, and he was cool about it. I just was like, dude, I can't you know, no, my listeners are probably not going to be like, yeah, let me call four of my buddies and have a book reading night. That's just not going to happen. And so we dove down into that and why, and you know, your childhood and what issues you have later in life because of your childhood, how to fix those things, whatever. So it was good that dude. It's two hours long and never got dull. So,
2: yeah, it's crazy what, uh, this is not what I planned on talking about, but I'm going to go with it. Um, it's cr- crazy. What happens in your childhood, I guess, shows up later in life and for me i'll be honest man i had the best childhood ever i don't really have a lot of bad trauma capital t lowercase t trauma none i spoiled but i'm paranoid as a parent which you're obviously a parent i don't want to do anything i'm always paranoid about my kids and like how i am with them just because I'm kind of a hard ass. I'm kind of a hard driver. And I would just, I don't know. I kind of expect that out of my kids to like, like, to be the opposite of lazy. I mean, hell, look at his, their parents, pretty driven people. And, you know, I guess my point is, is I guess you really never know if you're causing trauma uh, in people's lives. But it does have a huge role in later in life, obviously. Which is oh, yeah, there's things
0: popping up for me, you know, from my childhood and everything else that... You know what? It is what it is. It's just, I think you can, and that's what I was just talking with Steven about is your collective of like, if somebody tells you the stove is hot, it's not going to be enough. You got to touch it. Right. Well, if in life, you know me, I'm working on 50 now, right. I've touched the stove a lot. And so there's different things I've learned that it's collective of bad and good experiences. Right. And, and coming from who a guy who's a priest, right. Um, who has 9000 people under him how hard has to, that has to be when you are giving fitness advice and we talked about this or i'm giving bow hunting advice or fitness advice and they don't listen and and you're giving it off of a collective of your own bad experiences or good that are for the greater good of the person you're talking to meaning you know okay hey you need to lose 40 pounds Okay. where I cut out processed carbs and sugars. You know what I mean? You know, whatever you've got multiple different diets, but people don't want to hear it's hard work. They want to hear something about an easy button. Life is no different. You know, telling someone like, Hey, you need to go see, you probably should see a counselor or you're a bad husband, or you are too rough on your kids. No one wants to hear that. And no one wants to really tell the person that. And so I was lucky enough to have guys that didn't mind around me to be like, hey, dummy, like, you know what I mean? Like good role models with good advice. And so it's weird in this day and age, especially with social media. Social media, you only see the best of everyone, which is totally not true. So,
2: We should start a platform where you only post your shittiest moments um your worst behavior and it's not it's the opposite of a highlight rail i think that would be cool i think more people would tune in and be related relatable to that so
0: rather than uh the instagram group it's the one in the dirt that you didn't film or uh when you're cleaning the garage and the dog goes and you know pisses on your dirt pile and then you have a conniption fit yeah the real life yeah that'd probably be a good idea
2: uh, no doubt. Okay. So I guess we're short on time. You're, you, you're busy, man. Where are you headed to soon? You have an adventure hunt around the corner.
0: Um, so I'm helping out Bart, uh, Lancaster on a couple stone sheep hunts and a few mountain goat hunts. And then I'm hunting mountain goat while I'm up there as well.
2: Do you just love mountain goats? Don't you? Yeah.
0: I do like hunting mountain goats for sure. The stone sheep are fun too, but, um, but yeah, mountain goats and mule deer for me are the, the thing for sure.
2: Okay, so you're guiding or helping out whatever that means. Um I will blame you for making oddad hunting um prices skyrocket.
0: Um Yeah, I've totally jacked that up.
2: That's on you, man. But um I have done some odd-dad hunting finally. Um I haven't shot one with my bow yet and I'm not shooting one with the rifle. I just kind of I've had two goes at it. Cool little animal, man. Um What's your plans? Are you going to keep doing topo Texas stuff?
0: yeah yeah oh yeah I'll um I'll be down there you know off and on January February March, helping him probably go down and do an Arizona hunt and drive over uh help Scotty out from there and then uh and I you know I've shot enough of them now. I probably don't need to shoot anymore, but um th- my season this year, so I I leave July twenty seventh I'll come back first part of September. Um, I got to go to a guy's wedding and then I've got a mule deer hunt in there. And then I go in with South for two weeks for elk. And then I come out from there and then I go to a uh, moose uh, hunt with Bart up in BC and then a mule deer hunt in South Dakota and, and then a um, uh, mule deer uh, hunt that I'm in an elk hunt in BC, but I'm also helping out with a goat hunt. We bought an outfitting business up in, in uh, British Columbia. Um, so I'm helping out with some of those. Anyway, so it's a really crazy schedule. I had to really think about that. I missed some stuff, but yeah.
2: Um, wow. That is something that, uh, I, w- I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I know you hunt a lot and I've listened to you defend your hunting to even fellow hunters, <coughs> Matt um, Yeah. So that's crazy. When did, what's the name of your operation or your outfit in Canada?
0: Uh, Okanagan Outfitters. Okay. And it's uh, Jesse Van Marion runs it for us. Um, yeah, he's the head guy.
2: Okay. So lots of hunting, lots of guiding, lots of adventure. How's it been for you personally, kind of mo- migrating to Wyoming? Um, I've, I've been to your house or your house that you had in Colorado. Not going to lie, that was a pretty dope setup you had there. Dude, I haven't been to your new place in Wyoming. How's the transition from you? I know you don't want to sell Wyoming because you want to keep it all to yourself. Don't worry. (laughs) I ain't coming. But like, uh, what's the vibe like in Wyoming as opposed to Denver? I should have
0: moved here a long time ago. um, A long time ago. My hometown is only a couple hundred people anyway. So I'm used to a small, you know, town. And honestly, as Kafaru. Um, you know, born primitive, different companies I work with, you know, get, you know, as they grow, I, you know, we're probably going to end up moving more off the grid um, as I can. You know what I mean? My 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 plan is obviously like at 55 to be off the grid. And when I say off the grid, I'm not going to be out, you know, grabbing water out of a creek, but I mean, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but the new, the oh, new Paul. pad is awesome. I mean, I got yeah. 120 yard range out the garage. I got 3D targets in the canyon behind me. Got a pro shop in my garage and a gym. So that's great. Um, but, you know, like we're, we're hiking into a lake, for example, that guaranteed would have 300 people at the trailhead in Colorado. There's like three cars when we get there here. Um, photography's huge. Obviously, we're not that far from Jackson. Um, the community, you know, it's been great. So, yeah, I should have moved here a long time ago.
2: Uh, well congratulations Um, what did you do with Born Primitive or what are you doing with Born Primitive because I've heard a lot of guys talk about Born Primitive over the last year
0: Yeah. so how that started so I do um, going into great depth uh, military training with different entities in the US military so anyway um, one of the different um, one of the guys I met during one of those courses was friends with Bear, who's the owner of BP bear was looking at getting into the outdoor world and so I took a fairly large part of that fairly quickly all the designs I like get Frankie um who works for BP Frankie and I did you know the idea was one I didn't I'm not a big camo guy nothing wrong with camo I'm not but I'm, I'm more of a solid guy in this day and age in the economy I want pants I can wear to the store and go hunt in and shoot a 3D course or whatever right um you know, I don't want to have to have a camo set in a a solid set or whatever. So I wasn't real worried about the camo side of things, but I wanted to get a system that was simple and and effective. So it wasn't confusing. And so, you know, there was things I wanted on the pants with the reinforced knees and butt. I wanted hip hip zips. There was a certain fit that I wanted. um, You know, the quiver fleece was something I wanted that you would wear no matter, you know, you could wear anywhere whether that be to dinner or on the side of the mountain, um, you know, the rain gear we're working on, um, you know, it's a four-way stretch rain gear. So very good as far as I hate wearing rain gear because it's so grippy, right? You, you lose a lot of maneuverability in it. So um, we did a four-way stretch rain gear. It's got 20,000 uh, mvtr Anyway, it's got good numbers, very breathable, very waterproof but it also stretches. So that's something we're working on. Uh, we got multiple colorways coming out, but, but yeah, the design side, that was Frankie and I that, that did all the designs, all the, you know, fitting things like that. And then obviously I help out with the company, um, on a day to day as well. So.
2: Okay. Wow. That's cool for me. <clears throat> I'm I've got to test. Most of the stuff, a couple of particular locations, Texas in March, odd hunting got to run all, all the systems, pretty hot down there next to Mexico, even in March, Texas brush, as you know, and then um, North Idaho, which is like complete polar opposite, just North Idaho bear hunting, just running through brush, yanking ticks off me and fighting North Idaho jungle. So I've got some reps with it, Aaron. I just kind of wanted to dive in a little bit on the frontier pants because you had a, you know, you said you helped with the design. So I was looking, I was coming from a guy who's worn Sika most of my life I did a two-year stint with NUMA Outdoors. I've never tried Kuyu. I've definitely tried First Light. I've tried all their stuff. I've tried Origin. I've tried a lot of different stuff. The pants a home run, man. The Frontier Light and the Frontier Heavy. The hip zips. Let's start with the ventilation because who wants sweaty balls when you're already going to have sweaty balls? You know what I mean? Why the location there and why the mesh behind it, which is awesome. I wanted you to explain that design.
0: So the the mesh for one, for example, um, I was just with a buddy of mine, Wally, we hiked into a lake, we had to do a lot of bushwhacking, he had a set of pants that did not have mesh, he had seven ticks on his legs, when we got there, I did not have any, so the mesh number one was obviously debris but for me being in tick country was ticks. And, and, you know, when you have those open, you know, you've got your AC on. The last thing I want to worry about, I don't worry about as much about brush getting in there, but the tick thing, that's a big one. Uh, But it, you know, keeps all the brush out, debris, pineal, stuff like that, but also keeps bugs out as well. So, you know, the location, we looked at doing, you know, a a bigger, in testing anyway, a bigger uh, portal, right, a bigger event, a valve, whatever. Um, I didn't notice a difference with four you know, four extra inches of a vent. What I did notice with that is it catches easier on branches, especially in North Idaho, right? A lot of times I have to roll over. If I have a 50 pound pack, I've got to kick my leg over the deadfall. And you're shorter than I am. So you're even more screwed. And it's not like I'm always straddling it. Sometimes I'm rolling over it. So the outside of my leg is hitting that. And the bigger that flap is, it creates a bigger, um, like ledge or uh, something to grab. Right. So grabbing branches. So I didn't want this giant blown out pocket for to potentially get hung on deadfall. So we were very meticulous on the exact size of that. Same with the pocket configuration. You know, there were certain things that I wanted in those pockets as far as like the drop pockets. I wanted some of them with zippers, some of them with flaps because I don't want everything that I have to unzip a zipper to get to it, but I do want a couple zippers for important stuff. And then that drop pocket for your cell phone.
2: This is a 14 pro max, whatever that means, just a big ass iPhone. And I, some pants, you just drop those in there and they're just located in the worst spot. Every time you f- do a hip flexion, knee flexion, your phones, and everyone wants their phone on them. I mean, hell, I navigate a lot of my stuff just through X or, you know, whatever. So phone accessibility. Let me talk to you about your, like, inseam, your waist, your sizing. And particularly, what was the fit you were hoping to create with Frankie? Because it's a pretty darn sleek fit. I feel athletic. I feel mobile. And I feel like I can't, I can't destroy those pants yet. I haven't even put a tear or a rip in anything yet.
0: So the fit wise, I didn't want them to be skinny jeans. Cause I don't, I'm not a fan of skinny jeans, but, and I like my fit a little baggier. So we kind of wanted in the middle of, you know, not baggy, but you know, we didn't want a relaxed fit, but we didn't want a skinny jean fit. So more of a mountaineering fit with a little extra room. And, and that's what we went for. The thing with bear is bear. I think front squats, 500 pounds, like the dude's not built normal. So, he would try a set on, and I'm like, dude, you can't, you can't be part of the the, the sizing of this. Like you're a, a giant man. And, uh, so, you know, we wanted to be able to have a pant. Let's, let's say, you know, you're a little bit bigger in the waist than you are in the legs. So you have to order a 38, um, you know, but you're, you know, your legs are maybe not as, you know, you're not a bodybuilder, right? but we didn't want you to look like homie the clown when you, when you did that. So, or in reverse, you know, that you had a little bit bigger legs um, and maybe not as big of a waist, you know, you had more of, of, you know, your build that you didn't, you know, the pants with a little, a belt would tighten them just enough to where the pant, the legs still fit accordingly. I'm rambling a little bit. That is extremely hard to do because I've tried multiple sets of pants on, and I'll, I'll I'll use a Prana Zion for example. They were too tight in the quads for me. They didn't have very good pockets. They were an inexpensive pant. They're a good pant. They've got nylon in them. The pockets sucked, and they would grip on my quads like crazy when I was climbing. So that was kind of the idea we had: where very durable, very functional, but also very fitting in the sense of you you are not being you know your pants aren't gripping you all the time when you climb.
2: Mm, okay. Tell me about the numbering system that you guys kind of came up with just to keep it super simple. I'm putting you on the spot, man, but these are questions that I think are important because you're trying to build systems and you're trying to be efficient. Talk to me.
0: Yeah, so when we first did the um, like the sizing, we did a 33 and a 35-inch inseam, which was really more like 34 and 36 or 33 and a half, 36 knowing that shorter guys like yourself, Mike Hearn, friends of mine, they were going to be too long, but we knew we would come out with those later. But unless you just have an endless budget, you have to be careful with SKUs and inventory. And so the plan was, which is what we did do, the initial launch was like a 33 and a 35 inch inseam. And then we would add shorter inseams later, which we've done. And so that's, and that's what we had to do. Mostly just business, right? Like we, we needed to build back, you know, money and then add the shorter end scene.
2: Okay. By the way, I just met Mike Hearn for the first time. We shot a little bit together attack and he's like that little bastard. You know what he said to me? He's like, God, I thought you were a lot taller. And, uh, when I met you, you're not as tall. I was like pot, kettle, black dude. What are you talking about? Like, he might be shorter than me, but dude, that guy's a riot. How long have you guys known each other?
0: A long time. Um, yeah, he's funny. He's a trip. He uh trying to think we went down and hunted. He was there when I shot that red sheep. He shot an out dad. And we've hunted elk and yeah, he helps me out with the land nav courses, things like that. Yeah, he's he's funny, but he's probably five five. How tall are you?
2: Five seven, but not an inch taller.
0: Yeah, yeah, you got him by a little bit. You could dunk on him then. Um, oh. But he—that was the first thing he was like, "Dude, like this sucks because the pants were too long." And I'm like, yeah. "Hey, just give it time." So we have like, obviously, we brought in the shorter end seams, and then you know we have new colorways coming out. So we have like, what I guess we have uh, black with gray, like a slate gray reinforced knees and butt. Anyway, we have multiple different colorways coming out. Same with the grid fleece, we have a full zip grid fleece coming. We did a light and a heavyweight puffy jacket, a tundra light and heavy. We have um uh the, the, the reindeer coming and then some other things I probably shouldn't mention quite yet that are you know gonna come in the future as well, just expanding the line. So
2: Yeah, I do like the puffies. I do like the light one. It really is packable. Um I'm a puffy guy through and through. Um rain gear is a must for sure. I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys cook up there. And then obviously, like I don't know what you're doing, Aaron, for workout clothes, whether you like just throw on a bat, pair of sweats and get to it. But like, for me, like the fact that born primitive is a fitness company first and foremost. And they like, dude, I've known about born primitive forever being in the CrossFit space is just like open up the door to actually have some pretty cool training shorts that you can actually squat in and your ball sack doesn't hang out um, shorts that you can run in shorts that you can do your rocks and stuff like that. Pretty big into their fitness side of stuff as well. Are you work using any of their workout gear?
0: Yeah, I use uh, mostly just the, sh- well, the t-shirts, obviously, but the shorts, um, you know, my workouts, everybody has their own flair for workouts, right? Like my workouts don't look, I don't work nearly as hard as you do at workouts. So, dude, I go out, I do push-ups, pull-ups, you know, I do a lot of, you know, body weight exercises, air squats, lunges, especially as I've gotten older, I don't lift heavy anymore. I don't, I'll do dumbbell snatch, like one arm dumbbell snatches, but I don't do a lot of Olympic movements anymore. Um, for me now it's about longevity, but you, as I say that, and I've, you know, tried to explain, like you, 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 you stop using it, you lose it. And th- and that's true. So you have to keep that mobility and that core strength, uh, top to bottom, or your knees will start to give out weak legs, weak knees, things like that. And so, I have really focused on now just longevity maintaining, you know, I did put on some muscle, uh, the off season, just dude, it was like negative 20 every day. So, uh, this is a good time to start tomming. I right? tacking on mass, but I, um, the, the fitness side of the BP as well as the campfire side, cause he has flannels and all kinds of stuff. You know, it's cool cause you can hop on there you can grab some shorts, you can grab a flannel for dinner, you can grab some outdoor gear. So you've got a lot to pick from. Um, but you guys are on a different level with the workouts than than me, dude. I hike a lot. I do a lot of push-ups, but I, I just don't have the...
1: Learn more at marines.com.
0: I don't know, maybe if I went to a CrossFit gym that competitive nature would spark, but at this time I'm just trying to keep longer years on the, in the
2: mountains. Man, I'm with you. So I'm coming up on four two. There's a significant difference in how I recover just given five years ago. Five years ago, I might've been in my best shape ever. Uh, I'm definitely not there anymore, but that's okay. When it comes to hunting, Still got limitless fitness for the time being, knock on wood. But one thing that I don't do a lot of that I've done a little bit more this year is I've just tried to be intentional about putting a backpack on that's 50 to 60 pounds once a week for just an active recovery. And I know you're always have been into backpack cardio. Um, Do you have any suggestions for the listeners? Because this is going to drop, this episode will drop as soon as you allow me. And so that means it'll probably be a good month or a good six weeks until season what are Aaron Snyder's best practices for backpack cardio six weeks out from a season?
0: Oh, six weeks out. I'll just, I'll just say, let's say six months on down. Okay. So six weeks. If you waited that long, you're probably screwed to a certain degree anyway. So (laughs) a lot like biking. So six months out, base miles, just building your cardio, right? You're just doing, whether that's in the gym on the stairway to Jesus, that's hill climbing, that's at bleachers. But also lunges, interval training, like, you know, a lot of people, and I made this mistake in my younger days, would put in 80 to 100 pounds. I do not suggest that, maybe to see what it feels like, but don't train with that. Like, throw it on so you know what you're getting into, but how many years I took off my life training with 80 to 100 pounds is just not smart. Um, but what I did learn, or not necessarily learn, but like the the, the box workouts, you can crush yourself in 15 minutes with a wood box and a 50 pound pack and I've because ex- my workouts are much shorter than they used to be you know I used to be the gym rat scene whatever like now 20 minutes I can kick my own ass real good and then 15 minutes after that of some stretching and and uh some core workout things like that So my suggestion if you're you're in Arkansas wherever you don't have hills get a couple boxes of different heights um get a couple different dumbbell sets or or whatever and work on your core and work on your um i would say top to bottom fitness meaning just walking with weight is not the same as climbing up boulders that box is huge doing step ups and doing lunges with dumbbells not just pack weight or get a, a weight vest but You don't want to just train with a pack on and you don't want to just train on flat ground. When you start side hilling the different muscles besides your shins, things like that, your foot, your ankle support, like you are not the same human on a side hill that you are on flat ground. So you have to really have a lot of variety. So when I say side hill, even angling up steps, right, just traversing. So angle, angle up steps, up bleachers. You need to get lateral movement. You need to get those muscles working. So I'm rambling, but for me, you need base miles, then you need step ups, you need to really work on your quads and then work on your hamstrings are a little bit different, but start walking backwards. Like if you're hiking uphill, if you're if you got a four-mile climb uphill every 10, 15 minutes, turn around and walk backwards for five minutes. Smokes your hamstrings and it's you're not used to it. Well, people are like well, you're not going to hike backwards. It's like, yeah, but you're going to use ham, you're going to use muscles you're not used to using. Training in a gym or doing more fluff workouts, you've got to kind of not just pound the pavement. You got to get on a side hill and really work those muscles. So anyway, core workout is huge. Strong core, strong back. So I do a lot of different core exercises, and then yeah, the lunges, air squats, air squatting with a pack on will crush you um, quickly. And I mean. You're way more of a fitness guy than me. What would it take you for an average human to crush their soul with a pack on? How many minutes? 10. Yeah, yeah, I would say 15. So, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't take Martin. much. So, when people tell me I don't have time to work out, not to go on a tangent, you have time. You don't have the desire. And so, when I when you say that, I promise you can find 20 minutes in a day, and if it's like, "Hey, I have kids," great, bring them, show kids fitness, bring them with you, throw your kid on your shoulder, do some lunges, bring them like, bring your kids. Like I brought my daughter everywhere because then they know fitness. They know that, you know, the work ethic, you know what I mean, everything else. And so 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day with a pack on do five minutes, of air squats, five minutes of step-ups and five minutes of intervals. something like that. Just get out there and do it.
2: God, that was good. And honestly, you listed off a bunch of stuff that doesn't cost a lot of money. Plyo plio boxes is plywood. Yeah. Even if you're a shitty carpenter, watch a YouTube video, build a couple different heights. Um, sandbags, make your own sand, make, you know, whatever. Use your hunting pack. I always, I'm still campaigning for Kufaro to make a training pack because that would be cool. But anyways, the other thing is, sleds walking backwards with the sled walking forward. like make your own like this is all stuff that you could totally budget build and put that money towards gas so you can go scout or get more tags Um, you don't need a gym like mine or aaron's you can just anyways i want to talk about archery aaron because i love archery and you're pretty good at archery what are some of the things inside you said you have a pro shop that's code for aaron's got all the 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 gadgets to Tune bows because he likes shooting tune bows because they send out projectiles that are really efficient and do a good amount of killing every year. So, Aaron, what is your top three things to buy for a DIY pro shop? And I seen that bow vice you're using. I want to know about it.
0: Gotcha. So, uh, a, a bow press I use last chance for just about everything. So, the three bow press is a big one, an arrow saw, you got to have, you know, an arrow saw. And then a bow vise, which that Baker Archery Products is the the bow vise I was talking about. Um, You know, you're going to need allen wrenches, things like that. Those are a given. But, you know, the the big thing is, is like, okay, you have the different, you are living in an apartment, you got to go to a pro shop, right? We've all been there, right? And then, you know, you get a portable bow press if you got to move your peep or whatever. But, you know, the, the end goal, especially if you're really getting into archery, is to have a small pro shop to where you can work on everything at home so fletching jigs allen wrenches uh, aero saw bow vise bow press it doesn't cost that much to to do and that's where i think people really get worried um an aero saw is 165 to 185 bucks um you can get multiple different types of last chance bow presses but you're going to spend 3 to 500 bucks on a bow press a bow vise you're going to spend Anywhere from 89 to 289 bucks, whatever it is. But over time, that's not that much if you build it up incrementally. And the thing that you want to be able to do, if you come to my house and Dan's like, hey, I'm coming over to shoot, and you're tearing knock high, you've got something going on. You want to be able to fix that. So when you want, when you when you want to be able to fix that, it's not just the equipment, you also need the knowledge. And so I really strongly encourage people to just become an art of art, an art of the sport, become immersed in it and learn all of it. Cause you're as anal as I am on tuning and shooting and everything else. I mean, if my arrow's not flying straight, it is a big mental hiccup for me. Like when there's something wrong with my bow, it it really bothers me. And, and but I love tuning them. And so having that equipment allows you to do whatever you want.
2: Mm, that's cool. Yeah. No, I, I didn't know shit. Five years ago, like nothing. I was totally dependent upon somebody else. I don't like that at all, especially in the field. You know what I mean. And um, like, uh, we just had a rookie elk hunter come over a couple of days ago, and I my goal was to watch him shoot, and my goal was to train him, do some stress testing, uh, and go through all his gear. He brought a couple totes of gear, but the first thing we do is we shoot his bow through paper. And I, I made him do it so many times because I didn't know if he was torquing his bow. <clears throat> Finally, I I grabbed his bow and I shot it and it was not a Matthews. It was a different, it was a Hoyt Venom. Dude, like you just said, knock high and uh terrible tear. And I'm like, God, I don't want to spend our time working on your bow right now. We have other important things to do, but let's be real, Aaron. You can show up in shape. You could be. Decked out with your born primitive new gear, your kufaru pack, you got all your fitness and your bow sucks. You don't know how to shoot it proper and it's not tuned. Who cares what you've done all year? It doesn't matter. So um what do you think the number? I, I guess this is like where I'm going with this. What do you think some of the most common flaws in our fellow bow hunters that listen to you and me? They want to have more success. What are a couple of steps they could take when it comes to the tuning process? Without diving too deep, just some super basic, like, because I know you get 1 million DMs a day. So if you could like distill it down to your top three, like people are always underspined or people don't shoot through paper or people don't, what are are these things that you're seeing, Aaron?
0: Keep things simple. I would say like, that's not my number one, but don't overcomplicate the flight of an arrow and it going through an animal, meaning... Graphs and charts and you know, tons of different, you know, arrow <laughs> possibilities. I get it, right? But you know, the reality is is make sure your draw length is correct. That's a big one. Make sure you're not overbowed, so you're not pulling too many poundage, uh, too much poundage. And then your um alignment and your your anchor point are all help you with the consistency that you need, meaning your your body alignment. Drawing is correct, your body's going to be aligned better. Your peep height, you know, your anchor point is consistent. So, for me, I like guys to cross their nose, corner of their mouth, put their knuckle under their ear, um, you know, and consistency. And that's also with your grip. You know, people torque the bow a lot, so consistency with everything, and then make that as repeatable as you can and practice that at a close distance to where that weapon is an extension of your body under any condition. And when I say that, we just talked about overbow, draw link, all that kind of stuff. Then once you have it working for you, get out and apply it. And when I say, like you talked about stress tests, your stress tests and mine are a little different, but it's the same concept. If we go out there and I'm just ranging multiple targets for Dan and I'm like 35, you got 15 seconds, right? You got guys, they're dial, they're, they're not used to that. They're not used to pin gapping, things like that. Like Work on pin gapping, work on... Target acquisition, like drawn back and the quickest anchor point you can get. Anyway, you get the idea. But once you get to where your arrows, everything's fine, then applying those things. So once you get good arrow flight, you have good alignment, whatever. Now you need to go and put some boots on the ground and start flinging arrows in uncomfortable positions, things like that. Pin gapping, working on, okay, the animal just ran out to 57. You've got a 50-yard pin. How high do you hold? Learn your drops, things like that. Uh, and people don't do that as much as they probably should.
2: Okay, yeah, that was, you took that right where I was going, which is Aaron kills a lot of stuff with a bow, more than me and more than anyone I know. So we're talking red zone. You just mentioned a couple things that I'm like, that's gold. That was gold, Aaron. Like the fact that an animal will step out at 57, and if you do dare adjust your bow, if you dare adjust your bow, they're gone. Or maybe it is 57-ish, but the last thing you ranged was 48, and you got a 50-yard pen, and he just took six steps. So now you got to guess. Or you don't kill. And you definitely don't hit any animal you don't shoot at, right? So I guess I'm just trying to want to end with this, Aaron. Like. Matthews Incorporated out of Sparta, Wisconsin. My go to is a Phase Four Twenty Nine. That's what I'll be using for the 2023 fall. Elk season just around the corner. If you're a little bit longer, draw, check out the 33. Vortex Optics. Get your optics online and save some loot. Eurooptic.com. Discount code ELK10 takes 10% off. On X Hunt, Elite Membership, all 50 states. Do your e scouting, get your 3D, add your waypoints, run your tracking, drop a pin. When you drop your Discount code Elkshape takes 20% off. Kufaru International running the tactical or the duplex light frame with the hoodlum or bedlam. If you see me at a total archery challenge, I'll probably run in the Kufaru hip quiver. Made in the USA, and I stand behind as the best frame on the market. MagView gear made in America. Lifetime warranty. No phone case. Access to all three cameras on your iPhone or Android. Discount code Elkshape, 10% off. They also make attachments for binoculars so that you can do. Digiscoping proper. Wilderness Athlete new discount code. We have several Elk Shaped stacks. Click the link in the show notes. Discount code Elk Shape2023. Crispy Boots, probably the new fancy boot of the year is the Brickstall Mountain GTX. I got a lot of miles with that. It's gonna be my starter for the all-around mountain. Very light flex rating of a three or four, somewhere in there. Super dependable, all synthetic, very breathable. If you're not sure, you can always drop down to Laponia twos. I stand behind them. Buck Knives, the Alpha Scout, the Alpha Hunter. The pack light options, all those are in my kill kit. Check it out. Buck since 1902. Stealth cams, cellular and non-cellular. 20% off. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE20. Run that camera on 4K. 10% off discount code is ELKSHAPE10. You can get multiple cams or just run one. You can choose several plans and be on your way getting transmissions. The new Deceptor has that on-demand mode so you can hit a button and get a photo from your camera right on demand. It's pretty sick. Check it out. Marsupio. I'm running the vinyl harness. 10 by 42s got the rangefinder pouch and pocket made out of Arizona. Jim's a good buddy of mine. I think it's the best vinyl harness on the market. New to you guys, but not new to me. Born Primitive, they've been making workout gear in the CrossFit scene and fitness space for a long time. They have a military background. They also hired Aaron Snyder to consult to make their outdoor line, and I've been running it well for the last six months behind the scenes. I had all the samples. I'm committed. I'm going for it, so I am running Born Primitive. Click the link in the show notes to see what lineups I run, not only on the workout side of things, but also in the field. It's pretty exciting. Exciting for me to see a big fitness company get into the hunting space and I want to support them. Back e-bikes, discount code ELKSHAPE takes $300 off. And of course, if you are buying gear, discount code ELKSHAPE, 10% off at blackolvis.com. Back to the podcast. Red zone. You have so many reps in the red zone. So share some wisdom on how to cinch the noose. On your final stock on animal behavior, like just go on a dissertation. That was that's what I'm looking for. So
0: and we both do classes, right? You've got the elk camp, I do the glassing camp things or whatever. Both of those are the same result, what we're talking about. You do it a little bit differently. One of the things that we do on this camp, which leads right into what you're talking about, is the assessment of your skill set, where that animal is, and then dissecting that on how you're going to approach it. And so We do a scenario where I have an animal in one spot and you have three options to shoot that animal. You've got an extremely tricky stock to have a seven yard south cock straight down shot. Then you have a another technical stock, but you have to draw the bow back, step out, get the arrow in it quick because of his head position. There's a good chance in this peripheral when you step out. It's only a 31-yard shot so not super far, but very dicey cuz he could blow out quick. So you have to draw, step out, not make noise. While you do that, get an arrow in that animal or you have the bomb. 68 yards. You got all the time in the world, but it's 68 yards. What I really focus on for the for for people that come to the classes is one, be good at all three of those. Be ready to that's how you kill, right? 68 yards is the only shot you've got and and there's no wind and you can't get close, then you need to work on accuracy. So work on 68 yard shots at different angles, different footing, things like that, just reps. The next thing is, is obviously on the stalking portion in that red zone is having the situational awareness. When you come in on an animal, a mule deer, and you know, you're looking at its tines, you can only see the top four inches, You're watching it. You're, you know, is it moving? Is it going to get up? You're looking for branches. You're checking the wind. You've got noise. You've got wind gusts working through that in practice as much as humanly possible. I'm amazed at how many people just shoot their bow at 20, 30, 40, 50 flat ground, and then do not work on the things I'm talking about. So let's say Dan and I are hunting and I'm, I'm behind Dan, right? I'm calling or whatever, Um, I scoot up to Dan. I'm like, man, I think we got a bull coming in. And okay, what are we going to do? So Dan's killed a ton of stuff. Immediately, I'm going to make sure I've got clearance around me so I can maneuver the bow if I need it, but I still need to have cover. So I need to look behind me, make sure I've got cover, I can maneuver. Now I'm going to start ranging different things because I may not be able to pull a range finder out and I may not be able to range for Dan. So now, okay, boom, boom, boom. I've got all these things ranged. Okay, now I need my body position correct to where I've got full movement as far as I can. Then when the animal comes in, I need to make sure my bow is set up so I'm not a big fan of single pin sights, that I'm effective from 20 to 50 or 20 to 60 with my my pins. So when it comes in and it's pre-ranged, Dan will already have pre-ranged that it stops at 43 yards. Okay, now 43, where do I put my 40-yard pin? Or 47 or whatever knowing what your your dopes are, what those drops are, and then boom, stops broadside. I'm going to put my 40 right in the middle of its heart, or excuse me, middle of its lungs, because it may drop. If not, the arrow is going to go to the top of the heart. Boom, I'm ready. Those different scenarios in practicing those um, are something that I think is probably left out far more than anything. And when I say that, we roll up on a cliff edge, there's a mule deer, it's 57 yards, it looks up, I need you to be able to lock up draw back anchor and make that shot in five to six seconds and make a good one. No one practices that hardly. So I'm rambling now. I don't know if I answered no. your
2: question. I love it. I think, um, yeah, it's inspiring to hear you kind of talk about these scenarios. Um, because ultimately when we want to shoot, we kind of want to go use our rangefinder, and we're more interested in how tight a group are we putting at known yardages. And you just, God, you're not, you're not ever killing an animal in a place like your backyard or you for you out of your garage. I got 111 yards from driveway to my target. I'm so good in my backyard. It is nothing like that in the mountains. Absolutely nothing like it. So it's almost like the repetition's good. The muscle memory is good, but it has really nothing to do with the actual killing part of putting Like, I can't tell you, like, we could go for an hour and just go back and forth on how many weird-ass shots we had to take and how there was, like, almost a shot clock. And I think that's got to be, like, added to your perfect practice is some sort of shot clock, which does provide a stress or a sense of urgency that some people just are not going to enjoy. And I'm sorry to tell you, but that, that could potentially prevent you from punching your tag.
0: Yeah, I mean it does every year. And I, you know, the one thing, and you work, I think Joel Joel Turner, he comes to your camps and does. He does the the mental thing, the 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 shot I or uh what is it called the shot IQ. Shot IQ, um, yeah. And the the thing, and I don't I don't know exactly how he runs that other than it's like mental stress tests. And the the way that I do that, um, if if somebody shows up, they're a decent enough shot is uh i think he you know he does things like flicking ears and just getting people's minds right because that's going to happen when you have an animal come in um you know i don't do that as much but it's the same principle of okay uh, mule deer 37 take a knee what do you mean i'm like take a knee right now you got to take that shot from a knee 37 yards you got 10 seconds shoot it right there it's going to be end up in the ass or the leg normally but immediately after that i'm like turkey 24 put it right in its head the moment that arrow hits, I range black bear 47, do not move your sight. Okay. So they got a pin gap, right. I am like, you moment. know, so then we'll move out into the cliffs and the angles and I'm like, okay, we're going to come over this rise. I need you to find that animal. I need you to range that animal and I need you to shoot that animal as fast as you can. And I, and you know, they're like, and, and when I say that, I mean, you still got to hit the animal. So you have to have self-assessment and awareness, meaning you, I might be able to get a shot off three seconds faster than you. You might get a shot off three seconds uh, slower than someone else, or you get the idea. So the best shot you can possibly make, make that happen. Okay. It took 15 seconds and you shot it in the ass. What went wrong? Why did it go wrong? Were you creeping out of the peep? Like what, you know, did you misrange it? Do you know, whatever. And then writing those things down, coming back, going, you know, doing a hot wash, like, okay. What was your biggest problem? Well, I shot low a lot. Okay, you're probably creeping out of the bottom of your peep under stress. Okay, well, I shot left a lot. Well, you're peeking. You're flinging your bow arm left if you're right handed. Okay, the next thing is now with that, do we need to change things on your bow? Does your P pipe, did we set that pee pipe up correctly? Okay, because you go to your worst self under stress, right? So if your worst self is a paper plate at 50, Okay, that's that's a killing shot, right? That's your worst self. Most people's worst self is not a paper plate at fifty. It's like stop some. Making the best <laughs> of your worst self is the key, right? And so, when I say that, I'll be like, okay. Very rarely do I let down, right? I'm 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 letting her rip, right? I I go to full draw. There's a commitment I am I have made that that shot's probably going to be taken. People are like, how can that be? Things happen, like okay, well now Animal Anatomy. I know every part of that animal at every angle that I need to shoot to kill that animal. Whether that be a steep cornering shot, whether that be a frontal, a cornering two, broadside. Okay, the animal's got something in the way here. All right, well, I know I can get liver lung. Some people get irritated at this, and it's like liver lung's a killing shot. Like, I argue it. Like, is it your preferred shot? Probably not. But if it's a 380-inch elk, I am sh- taking a liver-lung shot, and people may blast me for that. But you have to know where the liver and the lung is. You have to know that angle. You have to know where to aim at the offside. So taking a 3D target and pivoting in a circle, I do this with my wife all the time. All right, honey, it's cornering two. Do you take that shot? Is there a killing shot presented to you right here? And then I explain where the anatomy is, and I say, yep, you want to hit it here or no? Game off. You can't. Can't kill it from this angle. Same thing with cornering away. Okay, when it's cornering away, don't worry about where it's entering. Worry about where it's exiting and what what it's hitting through that flight path. And as I pivot saying, all right, that six inches I just pivoted that changed your entry by a mile now from where it would have when I pivoted the other way. If that makes any sense And working on that. I did a video about this knowing that animal anatomy and i'm running at the mouth now but those are all very important
2: things so. mm-hmm. yeah man um uh, i wanted to hear last thing i want to hear about your setup what you know about this dude we got a little snyder core system um oh yeah <laughs> i uh that's your last name by the way and uh I know, right? <laughs> I, i'm uh i've never really hot melted before till this year i may never go back i may never go back bro but um, I beat, huh? no. <laughs> this is so sick for a four so you guys that are just listening can't see i'm holding up aaron my pro comp i got uh basically the snyder core this is what aaron and iron Bill work together on and it's the sweet shank system that goes down in and like i always love four mil arrows i've always hated their components um are you are you hunting with
0: four mils this year bro so I got pro comps and then I have Eastern axis. So I have one set up with uh 300 spine Eastern axis, um, you know, standard uh, bill system, whatever with the axis, with the caller and uh, the hit system. And then yeah. I have pro comps. Uh, I have some prototype type stuff with the pro comps, um, you know, as well, but the biggest thing with pro comps or any four mil system, and you already said it is components, um, you know, and, and, with a four mil system and i was showing my wife this the other night so i was shooting fixed blades and mechanicals with a four mil a 204 and a 246 and showing the penetration difference and it's hard to see on an animal but man you can see it on a target you will never beat a four mil with a fixed blade i will on a new 3d target i'll go fletches deep with that system 204 still get penetration 246 it's 12 inches difference in penetration so when you know when people are looking at this and i'm a huge fan of mechanicals but i like fixed blades too um when you're looking at that system because you're what's your draw because you, you told me 26 and a half, 27 27 and then what are you you're probably herking back some poundage though what what do you shoot for pounds 75 yeah so not pretty average so 75 pounds the thing is, there's a, a a time and place. If I was guiding you, which you don't need to be guided, but there's a time I'm gonna say, dude, you, you may not want to take that shot with your setup with a mechanical. Where with a fixed blade, I'm like litter it, tater chip, like you're you're getting there. Um, you know, so there's different scenarios with that, but with the pro comp, which I feel that pro comp is the best arrow on the market for a four mil. That is in testing and james yates is about to kick out an article on he tested all arrows for spine consider everything and that pro comp was at the top the thing with that pro comp is it's also nostalgic because i used to shoot accs back in the day and they stopped making them and it's an acc and i killed a lot of shit with a 371 acc like i love those arrows. so but yeah that pro comp are you you're digging them you like them
2: i love them honestly uh i don't like that they're fragile but I also have five dozen, which is a small fortune. And um, I just make sure to spend test them and, and whatnot. Um, they, are, they are incredible in the wind as well. Like truly, truly like spine consistency. I'm not a huge Noctune. I'm a little bit of a bear shaft guy, but ultimately I'm a fixed broadhead on the end of my hunting arrow. And I'm shooting long range and I'm looking for fill point broadheads to s- smack together. These things are sick, man. And honestly, I think to your point, Aaron, the reason why this will most likely end up in my quiver is that because I do hunt solo and I tell people that frontal shots on elk are generally dumb unless you've killed a couple and you've cut them up and you know the anatomy. But dude, like what what's stopping this arrow? You already mentioned the four mil penetration with a single bevel with your component, the Snyder Core. What's stopping this? Maybe a shoulder knuckle. That's about it. Maybe, yep. That's 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 about it. And I'm talking mainly on an elk, you know. So yeah, and I mean, I with my
0: system and everything else, like I aim real tight into the shoulder, and a lot of times, I'll high shoot. I'll take a rifle, type shot on a whitetail to drop them. If I, especially if I'm hunting near a border, you know, I don't want it to jump the fence. Yeah, deal with that. It. I'll take that high shoulder shot, and it's amazing. Cody Greenwood, he's a, a trad guy. He owns. It's called the Trad Lab. When he was getting data from me, from me for from hunting with the stick bow, he had asked me point blank. He thought it was wrong. He said the data I have from everyone else states that penetration is better with a recurve than a compound. And I'm like, hundred percent, it's true. But let me wow. finish. You okay. shoot a fixed plate, so that's not the same, right? Gotcha. Gotcha. With the mechanical, my penetration by far was better with a stick bow at 57 pounds um, at a whopping 178 feet per second than 77 pounds at 288 feet per second at 470 grains with a mechanical, because that mechanical is a momentum sucking fool, right? And so, what really amazed me with the stick bow um, was the penetration I got with it, something doing that speed with a relatively light arrow. I mean, for, for you know, 565, 570 grains on a stick bow is not a heavy arrow. Right. And I zip through everything. And so with the compound and a fixed blade and I was doing long distance testing the other day of, uh, you know, cause I've had guys message me and I don't want to get into the, like, don't email me about this. This is just what people have, you know, t- I took a 94 yard shot at a mule deer. My arrow bounced out. I'm like, bounced out well i hit it in the shoulder you know but it should have went through and i'm like ah so (laughs) let me explain this you know okay so when that shoulder shifts one and you hit it right when it shifts that's a momentum sucker two you have a mechanical broadhead that's a momentum sucker so if you hit it in the shoulder and as you hit it it dives down shifts your arrow shifting, you're losing momentum, then you have a mechanical broadhead that's losing even more momentum. And it's like, well, how do you know when to, what, you know, when your bow has enough oomph to go through an animal at longer distances? It's like, well, one, if you're asking that question, you probably shouldn't be taking the shot, right? If you don't know. Two, your setup, what is your arrow weigh? Uh, oh, my arrow is 420 grains. Yeah, that's pretty damn light, dude. Like that's light, you know, with a, with a fixed blade? No problem. It would have made it through. Um, But anyway, going through all of this stuff, assessing like you're never going to win a penetration outperform a fixed blade broadhead on a penetration contest compared to a mechanical. Mechanical is never going to win. I don't care what anyone says. Fixed blade always wins. You're never going to have a fixed blade have less wind drag than a mechanical at long distance. The mechanical will win every time. True. These are givens like, you know, and so when people are trying to pick what they want, you know, for, you know, when I say what they want, North Idaho, a mechanical broadhead in North Idaho, and I'm a fan of both of these. So this isn't, this is true statements. When a mechanical hits shit on the way to an animal, it is <laughs> not good, right? Like everything goes out the window for the flight path. And so you have to take your poundage, your, you know, your setup, whatever, your, your draw length, where you're going to be hunting, and what distance you're gonna be shooting. Then you gotta figure out what broadhead you wanna shoot from that. And so, and people have, I, you know, cause of the internet and I get it. I'm a mechanical guy and people message me all the time. And I say, you need to shoot a fixed. And they're like, well, you're a mechanical guy. I'm like, I am pulling back 77 pounds with a 29 inch draw length and a very tuned arrow. And I will take a far shot. You said you're 50 and in. When you talk about those closer distances, it starts to swing heavily more towards a fixed blade than the mechanical because all the pros of a mechanical, not all, some of them are out the window. So assessing that and picking what's going to work best for you is important. And I was shooting 90 yards with three different fixed blades the other day, hitting spot for spot with my field tips, which is the farthest I've been able to to do that. Usually after 80, you know, your wind drag, right? Um, Yeah. But dude, 80 yards is far. Like people don't realize in the field, you put an elk at 80 yards, it looks like a
2: mile. Um, so anyway. Mm, I love it, Snyder. Are you I'm assuming we probably got to go here, but one are you using the sever one seven five or that new one they came out with or are coming out with? What are you gonna use for your expandable for those that are interested?
0: may I use all of them, but I generally have the two inch um. So I, I'm weird. So I color coat and I have different broadheads. So I have a two inch on my, like I use a quiverizer a lot. Up yeah. top, my first arrow is a two inch. My bottom arrow is a one five. And the reason I do that is if I hit something with a two inch at 35 yards and it bounds out to 80, I want a one and a half on my secondary shot. So I'll either put my bottom as a one and a half, top as a two, or... Yeah two and then a one and a half is my second arrow in line. But however you come up with that, a lot of people I suggest to do that with fixed and mechanicals have both in your quiver. And when I say that people are like, well, how do you know when to, when, w- you know, w- what, to choose and when, well, you don't always know, but I guarantee you're in thick timber and you're calling in an elk. You probably want to pull out the fixed blade, right? Like you're, you may hit some branches on the way to it, potentially to where if you're out in the open prairie, maybe the other way around. So just maximizing the, what you have for equipment in front of you and utilizing that
2: is, is important. One time I shot this bull midday. I called him in. It uh, took a while. We got him to finally come up to 33 ish. I pre ranged pull back. He comes in and I rushed it. I had, he, if I would have just, been patient he probably would have walked right up to me like Lita could have petted him but I, I was like okay there's my shot and I just kind of really pulled and pushed and I I made a break unfortunately hit him back like definitely liver and he, he jumped the string a little or whatever it happened fast I don't have it on video I'm just going off what i memory I had and he bolts down the mountain and I'm cow calling I reached the back of my quiver I pull out another, it's a rip TKO, and I pull out um, I think it was a Grim Reaper Pro, you know, expandable. And dude, Aaron, he I count call, he stops 65-ish yards. I mean, I didn't range him, I couldn't range him, I just pull back and I'm like, all right, let her eat. And I send it, and I got one through his neck on my follow-up shot with an expandable. And um all that is to say is like from that day forward, I was able to get that bull. I was like, I don't know if I would have found him. I mean, probably, but not, I, you just never know, especially in that dark timber, there was no green brush and there was elk tracks everywhere. And he was not bleeding very well. Nightmare. That's, yeah. Nightmare. nightmare. <laughs> so I've been doing that the last couple of years, keeping that expandable in the back. Um, going to keep a sever in the back this year, like a one seven five or something. Pretty excited about it. But um, last but not least, Aaron Snyder. Uh, for Kufaru, which is who I work with. I work with you guys as what is your number one bag recommendation for elk hunters? That's my audience. And I want to end it there. I haven't touched the the bedlam yet. I love the hoodlum. I got a big heart on for it. Am I missing out on something? What what's your favorite bag for us elk hunters?
0: So I would I would say what you're asking me for one, but hoodlum reckoning bedlam. Those are the three, they're all a little bit different, but those are the three to to look at, um, you know, and that's whether you're multi-day hunting or, or day hunting. I mean, we have some other ones for day hunting, but, you know, three to five day trips to, to day hunting. Um, you know, it it depends, like people always, when you come out with something new, they want something new, whether they want something new or not, or they need it. Um, you know, the, the bedlam has different... Uh, you know it's a different bag it has a built-in beaver tail it's got a side zip compared to the hoodlum where the hoodlum anyway you can look at them online i just think it's no different like i like big boobs, right some people like butts right packs are the same way you got to have an initial attraction and that initial attraction may be a reckoning with a full center zipper it may yeah. be the hoodlum you know for a little more simplicity and the zippered pockets on the side um and then, or the the bedlam, because it's got a little bit of everything, but not quite as big. So I don't know that it's always so difficult because people are like, am I missing anything by not getting this? And it's like, well, if it's working for you now, I'm not saying don't buy it. But sometimes like that beaver tail, that may sell it for a ton of people where they're sure. like, okay, they want that beaver tail stuff in puffy jackets or whatever else. So, But those are the three Not just for me, those are the three primary bot for elk hunting and also my three favorites are the the hoodlum, bedlam, and reckoning.
2: Awesome. Aaron, thank you for your time. Guys, we'll leave links in the show for his social as well as some of his projects, Separations and the preparation, y'all. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, guys. uh, Hope you enjoyed that, man. Aaron, thanks for taking the time out of your day uh, right before you head out. We will see you at Total Archery Challenge Utah. I think aaron might actually go to that one and myself included so we'll see and reconnect down there and if you're going doubtfully say hi i would love to shake your hand and hear what your hunt plans are for 2023 guys you got a lot of options when it comes to podcasts thanks for choosing ours separations in the preparation we'll catch you on the next one